Good morning, everyone. So nice to see you all. Happy New Year. Yeah. Amazing New Year. This morning, this talk and this whole day is devoted to our dear friend, Louise Dreyfus, who is now crossing over. And for the next 49 days, we will think of her as she crosses over. She crossed over yesterday in great peace, lots of chanting. Reverend Royce and I were there chanting and holding her and caring for our beloved friend. We're holding her in our hearts. So some of the things I will say today have to do with her. She's such an important member of our group, so warm and friendly and a combination of two important qualities that just occurs to me. She, we were talking about it yesterday, some of us, she had an absolute unselfconscious ability to go toward somebody she hadn't met yet and warmly greet them. Absolutely unselfconscious, no hesitation. If she didn't know you, she was going to come and say hello. That, and combined with that, she was so nervous giving Dharma talks. <laughs> so, so to sit on this seat and talk to you, uh, I had to really beg her to do that. <laughs> then she gave wonderful Dharma talks, and then afterwards she felt misery. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing combination? So other people have mentioned to me that they feel bad after giving Dharma talks. Any of you? Oh, homage, homage. Her name was, is still during forever, uh, Precious Mirror. So I'll say something about that as we go along. But the original theme of what I want to talk about is a little bit about New Year's resolutions. How about this? Embrace the territory and treasure the road. We just chanted that in our morning service as part of this great poem by Deng Shan, founder of Zen in China, Soto Zen in China. And it goes along there. Each one of the little uh, verses, phrases that we chant is a deep, rich teaching. So luckily this one, it says, communing with the source, travel the pathways, Embrace the territory and treasure the road. Isn't that nice? Communing with the source, travel the pathways, embrace the territory, and treasure the road. This morning during Zazen, while I was not thinking, I was, <laughs> I was musing about roads and couldn't help it. And so... Um, Roads, roads are really a f an art form. Do you know that? Yeah. To build a road that lasts is incredible human creativity and devotion. So there's still this road. I studied it a long time ago. It's referred to in a lot of uh, novels as the Great North Road in London. Do you know this? Oh, it's so cool. I encourage you to get lost in... Google sometime. <laughs> the Great North Road, they just refer to it in early 20th century novels, the Great North Road, people going on that. 
it's the road that travels north along the in the main uh, island of England that the Romans built. The Romans built it two thousand more than two thousand years ago. So they really knew how to build roads, and they put you know firm foundations under it. They thought about what would happen over time as many many people and carts and heavy things traveled on this road. They thought about it. It's a beautiful thing. And they made it as navigable, negotiable as, as they could for everybody. And it still is in use. There have been some repairs, but still in use. And um, uh, similarly, we talk about Buddhist practice, the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha, as the path. We talk about it as a path. And I have some stories coming up about roads, people traveling on roads. But that path also is the result of a lot of thinking and paying attention to what people really need and how to support it over time. So the path is a very well-built um, road for us to travel. But interestingly, um, sometimes we forget, I want to say that... Um, Another one of my themes for our practice and for New Year's resolutions, one thing about New Year's resolutions, so embrace the territory and treasure the road. What is it about New Year's resolutions that's kind of most significant? I think Greg Fain alluded to it a little bit. We break them immediately. <laughs> and so in Zen and in all real spiritual practices, Errors are built into the system. It, our practice is about errors. And a road, what's on a road? Embrace the territory, treasure the road. The road has potholes. It has surprising things running across it. It has growth down the middle. It has other people walking on it that you want to see or don't want to see. It's entirely about running into the unexpected and tripping on it falling over it, missing it. So it's built into this concept of road and path. The errors and the um, um, surprises are part of the territory. Embrace the territory and treasure that road. So our Zen practice totally turns toward that all the time. It's really what it's about. To live in this world is to live in an imperfect world. So I've been reading this book called The Spirituality of Imperfection. Do any of you know this book? It's a classic, quite beautiful. I, I kind of recommend it. I mean, I wholeheartedly recommend it. <laughs> I do recommend it. And one of the, um, I think maybe it might even be his opening mood-setting uh, paragraph, baseball. Do all, any of you like baseball? Yeah. Some do. love baseball. Baseball teaches us, or has taught most of us, how to deal with failure. We learn at a very young age that failure is the norm. Oh, this is, he's quoting uh, Francis Vincent, commissioner of baseball. We learn at a very young age that failure is the norm in baseball, and precisely because we have failed, we hold in high regard those who fail less often, those who hit safely in one out of three chances and become star players. I also find it fascinating that baseball, alone in sport, 
considers errors to be part of the game, part of its rigorous truth. Isn't that cool? Because there is a statistic, errors, no other sport. And then for us, Zen and spirituality uh, also teaches us how to deal with failure. We learn at a very young age that failure is the norm in life. Errors are part of the game, part of its rigorous truth. If, at some point, I want to tell this story about um, Oscar, my, my little grandson, who's now not little, but when he was little and four or five years old, he was really a fan of baseball, player of baseball, now a fan. Um, and we were doing something at a little table. So he was four and we're doing something and uh, he made a gesture and knocked over this glass of milk. And then he lo- we both looked at it and he said, it's okay to spill. <laughs> and I have to say, because of that baseball experience and other good fortunate <laughs> things in his life, it's really okay to spill. He understands failure in a better way than I do, actually. And when we're watching games together, which happens at Thanksgiving and other times there's games on being watched, they're okay with teams losing. I still haven't overcome my <laughs> sorrow at teams losing. <laughs> oh, no, we should do something. They've lost. <laughs> so, again, though, we might say, what do we mean by error? Those things are pretty obvious, but the um, this bodhisattva path which is the path of the six perfections and 16 bodhisattva precepts, which I'll just mention. Many of you know these, but many of you do not. But let's just say the six perfections, which are generosity, ethics, patience, vigor, energetic effort, uh, concentration, and wisdom. So those are perfections in our world that bodhisattvas practice, or all of us on this Zen bodhisattva path, eventually have those running along in our minds. They're running along in a parallel uh, relationship with our lives. So generosity, ethics, patience, vigor, concentration, wisdom, running along in parallel. And what our actual lives show us is the times when I wasn't as patient as I would want to be. I wasn't as as energetic as I wanted to be. I wasn't concentrated, no wisdom. But because it's built in that those are called perfections, that's just part of our, our life. We're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying to have some support from this possibility of increasing in our wisdom. Right, And the same thing is true with the 16 Bodhisattva precepts, um, which I won't name. But (laughs) (laughs) again, when we receive the precepts, a lot of people have in this room, uh, we receive the precepts, and it's an invitation. You're making an invitation to let those precepts live alongside you in your life. We are inviting the precepts to live alongside us, and what does it mean to not take what is not given, to not misuse sexuality, to not speak harshly, and so on, that lives alongside of us and gives us a reference point. And then generosity allows us to be so understanding of error, slip, 
of ourselves and others. So I mentioned Oscar's ability and his whole family, my whole family, um, are much better at watching sports and rooting for people and understanding loss. They're really good at it. But what I'm really good at is I understand the loss of a friend. So I've had a lot of experience, more experience than they with what it's like to have a valued person in my life and then not have that person be accessible. That's another thing that this path um, supports us in. So it's part of the path that we're going to uh, lose people and we also are going to cross over at some point. That's part of the path. Embrace that territory and treasure the road. In two weeks, Tricia mentioned it, in two weeks, two of our beloved members, Neely Atkinson and Brandon Lampson, who's in Austin right now, are going to receive the Bodhisattva precepts in a more, um, uh, what do you call it? A longer ceremony. <laughs> a longer ceremony and receive ordination as novice priests. And that is at an, another, taking a, another step onto this road and inviting those precepts to live alongside and inviting us to be witnesses to that in a higher, higher level, uh, in a more intense level. So we are witnessing two people who are going to invite those precepts to live alongside. We witness it and we support. Their vow is to support us. So to take ordination, to receive ordination as a priest is to really um, intentionally acknowledge that your life is in support of this sangha. And in other situations, like last fall, we also witnessed um, the receiving of precepts in a marriage ceremony when Michael and Mark received precepts in front of people. So this witnessing is again to help support the living alongside and acknowledge that we live in an imperfect world. So the relationship between perfect precepts, imperfect world, and people vowing to live alongside the precepts, it's what we witness. And they witnessed us witnessing them. So they witness the witnessing of themselves. The same will happen in the ordination. You witness the witnessing of the ceremony. They don't happen alone. And the whole world is improved. This whole world is embraced, this territory. Here's a story about the road. Now I'm very alive to road stories. So one day, two monks were walking along to China, and they <laughs> were walking along a road that suddenly um, had a stream crossing it. We have this experience in Houston all the time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yesterday, there was not a stream crossing this road. Today, there is. So they hitched up their robes a bit, and they could easily walk across, wade across. But there was a woman waiting there who was timid about it, didn't think that she could do that without being washed away. And so monk number one went over to her, picked her up, carried her across the, screen, the stream, and put her down. Went on their way. After quite a while... Monk number two said, brother, I'm still so angry at you. You know we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to pick up women when we're walking. 
<laughs> that double entendre is not in Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> We're not supposed to do that. How could you do such a thing with the precepts running alongside our lives? And monk number one said, brother, I put her down a long time ago. You're still carrying her. <laughs> So our practice with these, with this precious life is um, at the highest level, this is bodhisattva practice, one of gratitude for everything that we encounter on this road and in this territory. Utter gratitude. And gratitude, one of the ways that uh, bodhisattvas think about gratitude is that it's a state of mind. It's a state of understanding. It's a wisdom practice. It's not a feeling. You don't feel gratitude. If we did, feelings come and go. Part of what we learn in Zen practice is the real, ephemeral, changing nature of human feeling. It comes and goes. The anger of that monk came and went. The fear of that woman came and went. But the gratitude is a state of mind. It's an understanding of our relationship to the world. So one writer says, the experience of gratitude has been lost too, because we tend to think of it primarily as some kind of feeling. So we look for it in the feeling realm. Feelings are fine, but they are fleeting emotion. But gratitude is a vision <coughs> that sees this territory that we live in and everything that comes our way as a gift. And some of those gifts are things we um, want. Some of those things, you know, the more you practice in this life, all those things that arrive are gifts to help us increase our wisdom and understanding. They're all gifts. It's just how we use it. Um, here's one writer, old writer, Jonathan Edwards, saying, um, the saints, so this is, early American Christianity, the saints were characterized by a new inward perception or sensation of their minds, entirely different in its nature and kind from anything that ever their minds were the subjects of before they were sanctified. Those who seek spirituality, that is to say, see reality differently. It is not that they see things that others cannot see, but rather that they see what everyone else sees but in seeing, recognize in all reality its aspect of gift. Isn't that nice? So bodhisattvas and practitioners, we live in the same reality, but we see things differently. We see things coming our way differently. And here's one. Here's a good story. This one is from um, a Chinese author, Joy Luck Club. So it's a story. Uh, her, this, the nanny of the young girl is taking her to see the moon lady. Don't you want to go see the moon lady? <laughs> and the little girl says, the moon lady, the moon lady. I said, jumping up and down with great delight. And then after I ceased to be amazed, I took Amma's, my nanny's sleeve and asked, who is the moon lady? <laughs> the nanny says, Chong O, she lives on the moon and today is the only day you can see her and have a secret wish fulfilled. What is a secret wish? I asked. Can you hear me back there, by the way? Okay. What is a secret wish? I asked. 
It is what you want but cannot ask, said Amma. Why can't I ask? Amma said, this is because, because if you ask it, it is no longer a wish but a selfish desire. Ooh. And Amma goes on, haven't I taught you that it is wrong to think of your own needs? A child can never ask, only listen. Kind of a complicated message there. (laughs) 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 Then how will the moon lady know my wish? I, you ask too much already. You can ask her because she is not an ordinary person. Satisfied at last, I immediately said, then I will tell her I don't want to wear these clothes anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I, did I not just explain? said Amma, now that you have mentioned this to me, it is not a secret wish anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, to know the difference between secret wishes and selfish desires is not easy. Really not easy. And because we're human, greed and, and, uh, and gratitude are kind of mixed together. They really are. So that's okay. We live in an imperfect world. So um, people do torture themselves by uh, feeling gratitude. And when they recognize a tiny little thread in the mix of greed, you know, happy I got that. Sometimes people will want to throw the whole bathwater out. But we're that way. We're complicated. We're imperfect. So we can be grateful. And there's generally a little bit of greed in there because we still have our child in us. Our, our, our less evolved understanding is always there. Here's another great story about two brothers. Time before time, when the world was young, two brothers shared a field and a mill. Each night, they divided evenly the grain they had ground together during the day. Now, as it happened, one of the brothers lived alone. The other had a large family. One day, the single brother thought to himself, It isn't really fair that we divide the grain evenly. I have only myself to care for, but my brother has children to feed. So each night he secretly took some of his grain to this brother's granary to see that he was never without. But the married brother said to himself one day, it isn't really fair that we divide the grain evenly because I have children to provide for me in my old age, but my brother has no one. What will he do when he is old? So every night he secretly took some of his grain (laughs) to his brother's granary. As a result, both of them always found their supply of grain mysteriously replenished each morning. Then one night the brothers met each other halfway between their two houses, suddenly realized what had been happening and embraced each other in love. The story is that this meeting place became a holy place, a place of love. And here is where a temple was built, the place where humans discover each other in love. So, but we live in this imperfect world, a place where earthquakes knock down beautiful temples, houses are destroyed, um, animals eat each other, including the human animals that bash each other around, we do all sorts of things. What is that about? So here's another road story. Walking along a road, 
Dungshan, who's the same great teacher who wrote the poem, Song of the Precious Mirror Samadhi, walking along a road with another, with a student, and they saw two birds fighting over a frog. Both these birds wanted to eat this frog. The monk said, why does it come to that? The master replied, it's only for your benefit, friend. Do you get it? Okay, I'm not going to unpack that one for you. <laughs> There's a story about unpacking stories, and it is, um, uh, would you want me to pre-chew your cake for you? <laughs> it's cake. So this is a very important story. One time the master was walking along and with a student, and they saw two birds contending over a frog. The monk asked, why does it come to that? The master replied, it's for your benefit, friend. So our minds really do change with careful awareness. Our minds really do, um, in this imperfect world, change so that we can see things clearly and see the teaching that's happening in every single event, the teaching in that story, the teaching in that exercise. So our minds do change, and uh, we come to embrace this error-filled world and treasure the road that we're on together. Thank you very much.